Welcome to Hope for the Caregiver here on American Family Radio. This is Peter Roseberger. This is the program for you as a family caregiver. I'm really glad that you're with us today and hope you're doing well. How are you feeling? How are things going with you? This show deals with those who are putting themselves voluntarily, often without training, and um, often with meager resources between a vulnerable loved one and even worse disaster. That loved one could be suffering from all types of things. There are a lot of different kinds of affliction, but there's always a caregiver. And this show focuses on the caregiver. You heard me say a while back that I committed to doing songs this year. And that was something that I want to do. And I was going to play a few for you all as they were recorded. And you can hear one of them. I played it uh, last week with Covenant Lament, the song I wrote after the shootings in Nashville. It's a song I'd started writing about the 1st of January. And I hadn't finished it, but I finished it after that. And I thought, well, okay, I'll put that out there uh, for folks. And I hope it was meaningful. A lot of people said it was. And I also wanted just to say to you all, to this audience, one of the reasons I'm pushing myself on this is because I want to practice what I preach. I think it's very important for us as caregivers to push ourselves, to create, to do things that you know express our souls. And I, I want to give you, in this opening segment here, I just want to briefly touch on this, on an event that happened with the uh, writer Kurt Vonnegut. I'm not necessarily holding him up to be a, a role model or theological example. Uh, he had quite the dark side and a lot of dark humor. But something happened in 2006, this was a year before he died, where students at Xavier High School, I believe in New York, they reached out to various celebrities to invite them to come to the school and you know, help pass on wisdom or whatever to, to with the students. And this is the only guy that responded was Kurt Vonnegut, very cele- uh, celebrated writer. And and um, he wrote back, he, this was a year before he died, and he was in pretty bad health and he couldn't come. So I, let me just read to you what he wrote. Dear Xavier High School, Mrs. Lockwood, uh, Mr. Perrin, McFeely, Batten, Mar, and Conglusta, I don't know all these names, but these were the students, I think, that reached out. He said, I thank you for your friendly letters. You sure know how to cheer up a really old geezer in his sunset years. He was 84 when he wrote this. I don't make public appearances anymore because now I resemble nothing so much as an iguana. <laughs> he was a very good writer. What I had to say to you, moreover, would not take long to wit, practice any art, music, singing, dancing, acting, drawing, painting, sculpting, poetry, fiction, essays, reportage, no matter how well or badly, not to get money and fame, but to experience becoming, to find out what's inside you, to make your soul grow. That's what he wanted to tell them. And he goes on, he says, seriously, I mean, starting right now, do art and do it for the rest of your lives. Draw a funny or nice picture of Miss Lockwood, their teacher, and give it to her. Dance home after school and sing in the shower and on and on. Make a face in your mashed potatoes. Pretend you're Count Dracula. Here's an assignment for tonight, and I hope Miss Lockwood will flunk you if you don't do it. Write a six-line poem about anything but rhymed. No fair tennis without a net. Make it as good as you possibly can. But don't tell anybody what you're doing. Don't show it or recite it to anybody, not even your girlfriend or parents or whatever, or Miss Lockwood, okay? 
tear it up into teeny weeny pieces, and discard them in widely separated trash receptacles. You will find that you have already been gloriously rewarded for your poem. You have experienced becoming, learned a lot more about what's inside you, and you have made your soul grow. God bless you all, Kurt Vonnegut. Isn't that a great message for us as caregivers, though? What makes your soul grow? What 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 causes you to come alive? What what animates you? And we've talked about this on this program many times. What is it that you love to do? Now you may not be able to do it at the level you would like to do. I'll tell you, as a songwriter, as a composer, and I I actually I I don't think I've ever told you all this, but I entered uh, my son. I did a part of a soundtrack for a short film that my son did. And he entered it into an Italian film festival, and my song won Best Original Song. It was a, it was just a musical, it was, a, it was a theme that I did for it. If I could figure out where it is, I'd play it for you. And I've won an award for it. I love to do music. And I hear things in my head. I hear orchestrations and all kinds of stuff of what can be done. I don't have the outlet for a lot of that. I really don't. But I do what I can. I have a piano, and I I do the best that I can with it. I would love to hear more musicians and doing stuff and sitting down with a group and doing that, but I can't. Not just because I live in Montana, away from everybody else, where the deer and the antelope play, but because you know being a caregiver doesn't afford you a lot of those kinds of opportunities right now. But it doesn't mean I can't try. And so that's what I did. And so when I put out that song, Covenant Lament, I did. I had a lady back in the church that I just played the funeral at. Um, her name is Jean, and she sent me some lyrics she wanted me to turn into a hymn for. So you know what I did? I did that. I wrote out the hymn, and I sent it back to the music minister at the church, and I hope somebody will re- you know, perform it. I had a friend of mine in Colorado. We went to college together. His niece and his brother-in-law and his sister had a text they wanted me to look at doing for a song, and I turned it into a song, sent it back to them, and I did it with more piano, but they did it with a bunch of guitars and some more folk kind of instruments, and I look forward to being able to play that for you all, see what you think. If they're giving it to me, I'm doing it, and I'm spending the time to do it because it's part of who I am, and it's helping my soul grow. This is Kurt Vonnegut. This is a guy who's not there to... Uh, advance the kingdom of God. I don't think in any of his writings or things that he's doing, but he touches on something that is common to who we are as human beings, that we were designed to create because we're formed in the image of God and our God is creative. We were designed to do this and we stunt ourselves when we don't. And if we give ourselves the excuse of not being able to make a living at it, or nobody's going to care, nobody's going to appreciate it, or I don't have time. That's that's not a real good excuse, is it? My new book hits at the end of May. It'll be in bookstores all across the country. I've written this book while serving as a caregiver. This is my fourth book that I've written while serving as a caregiver. And I have to write sections of it in odd times and during odd times and odd places. There's an article right now in a Lifeway magazine called Mature Living. It's called Quiet in the Noise. And 
I wrote that while in the emergency room with Gracie. I got her down there. I had my laptop with me. I got one of those trays that, you know, they serve meals on. She's sitting right in the bed beside me. They're working on her. They're drawing blood and all that kind of stuff. And we're dealing with whatever's going on. There's nothing more I can do. I've gotten her there. So I pull out my laptop and start working. And I wrote this article in the emergency room called Quiet in the Noise. If we give ourselves excuses, we'll use those excuses. But if we push ourselves to write, to be clever, to be creative. And I love what Kurt Vonnegut says in this letter. He says, tear, write your poem and then tear it up into teeny weeny pieces. Discard them into widely separated trash receptacles. You will find that you've already been gloriously rewarded for your poem. Don't write it to be rewarded. Write it because it's rewarding. Don't do it because you're going to get compensated. Do it because it is elevating who you are. It's really important that we understand the difference. This theme that you're hearing right now, playing on this show, I co-wrote that with my friend Chris Latham. And I wrote that groove for it 35 years ago. He wrote the melody while he was working at the Ten Lizzie's at the old Opryland amusement park before they tore it down and made a mall, which was stupid. But he wrote that melody then, way back in the early 80s. And then we got together and we built this and this is the theme for my show there's no excuse to stunt the creativity that god has placed in us so let it out this is peter rosenberg and this is hope for the caregiver hope for the caregiver.com by the way at hope for the caregiver.com check out the preview copy of my new book we'll be right back don't go away hi i'm miki and i'm will and we'd like you to join us for an all-inclusive event we call afa at the ark first annual Who knows? It's certainly the first time anyway. It's a mini conference and you could potentially stay with us in the same hotel, ride with us on the same bus, eat with us in the same dining room. Help us keep track of our kids. (laughs) That could be very helpful. The event is October 26th and 27th and we'll tour together, worship together, have panel discussions with our family and Wesley and Walker Wildman's families. We'll even have a special presentation by Ken Ham, CEO of Answers in Genesis. The Marriott Cincinnati Airport Hotel has blocked a limited number of rooms for us at a discounted rate, with several meals included. You can register, book your room, and learn more at marriagefamilylife.net. That's marriagefamilylife.net. And we hope to meet you at the first ever AFA at the Ark. I hope to see you there. I feel so hopeless. Hopeless. Is there any hope? I I just feel like there's no hope at all. Is there any hope? Get hope. Ever sat down to make a phone call and fear just grips your soul? That's TWR President Lauren Libby. Ever put off contact with people because of the fear of rejection? Fear can become so acute, it can divert our attention from relating to Jesus. The secret to conquering the fear of people is being in the presence of Jesus, allowing Him to comfort and allowing Him to intervene. Bring your fearful relationship out in the open with Jesus in prayer. Tell Him about it in detail and then trust Him to take control of the relationship or situation. This results in peace, freedom, and most of all, hope. Need more hope? We have resources waiting for you, including a free devotional. You'll find them at GetHopeRadio.com. That's GetHopeRadio.com.
Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. Miss Producer, during the break here, I was able to locate that song that I won the award for. This was a, a theme that I did for my son's short film. That he, It was a kind of a cool sci-fi movie. But I went to the piano there. I remember I was at the house there in Nashville when we lived there, and I went to the piano. I said, what do you think about this? He said, okay, Dad, you got the job. <laughs> It's always nice when your son says, okay, Dad, you got the job. But here it is. Go ahead and roll that in, Miss Producer. And I'll give you all a little taste of this, but I won the award for Best Original Theme. And this was the title theme of this original film. That's the piece that I composed, and obviously the film festival that he entered this thing in Italy thought it was okay, and they gave me best original theme. So I I share that not to get applause. I'm sharing that I did that while I was a caregiver. In fact, I've been a caregiver now since I was 22 years old. Everything I've done since then, I've done as a caregiver. So why not you? I've launched a national radio program that is now on over 200 stations. I've written my fourth book. I write award-winning music. I've learned to cook. <laughs> I've fought with insurance companies. I have dealt with all the things that I've dealt with as a caregiver. So my question is, how about you? What are you doing? I'm not that kind of anomaly I've just been doing this longer than most people, but I, I'm i still subscribed to the same belief system that so many that have come before me have, is that, you know what, we can't wait for everything to get exactly the way we want before we decide to start living life and producing, no matter what's going on, no matter who applauds, no matter if I get an award for a film festival. When I wrote that out for my son, I just did it for my son. I said, let me take a, t a stab at that. Let me take a crack at it. I didn't do this to get an award for it. I just did it because I thought it made sense and I loved my son and I wanted to do something to offer what I had. And turned out it kind of worked. Same thing with my new book. I didn't set out to write a bunch of books. I mean, I, my English teachers throughout school could testify that that was not part of my career path. But here we are. And I wanted to share with you how some of these things began. In, not, in the, not in the intent of saying, hey, look at what I've done. It's look at what you can do, what you can do while a caregiver. 
And so I open up in my new book, and you could go out and get a preview of it if you wish, and you'll see that it opens up with me trying to check myself into a mental institution. I don't think I've ever shared this with you all before. I've shared it in some interviews, but I was there at a place in Nashville, and I went in there, and I stood there at the counter. And this is the introduction to my book. And they looked at me kind of funny, and they said, are you lost? And I kind of teared up, and I said, yeah, I think I am. And then I said, do y'all take walk-ins? <laughs> and they looked at me kind of odd, and I thought, really? That's the question they're going to look at me odd for. I mean, it's not like I'm dressed as a Wookiee. This is a mental institution. That's the question? Asking if they take walk-ins? But I kept my mouth shut. I was prudent. They said, yeah, and they took my wallet, took my keys, took my blood pressure, <laughs> and took me back to this dilapidated room that looked like uh, it had been decorated in early law and order. You ever see those interrogation rooms in the police department? That's what it looked like. So I'm sitting there wondering, okay, how's this going to go? Now, this is some years ago. And I had recently had a surgery, an appendectomy that went sideways for me. And I bled out on the table just about. I mean, they had to pump a bunch of blood into me. And then after the surgery, I got a post-op infection, and I wasn't sleeping. And I, I felt like I was losing my mind. I was so tired. And I just wanted to rest. And I've spent a lifetime learning how to care for Gracie, but nobody cared for me. Nobody knew what, I never got sick. I mean, I truly don't get sick very often. And when I do, it's give me a Louis L'Amour book, the remote control, some ramen noodle soup, and some NyQuil, and I'll, I'll figure it out, you know. <laughs> but, but this time I was sick, and I wasn't getting any rest. And I thought, well, maybe they'll just let me come in there and be treated for exhaustion. Turns out they don't do that. Uh, <laughs> they, they, that's only from like the 1940s in Hollywood. You know, he was treated for exhaustion. But I was exhausted. I was tired. And this counselor came in and said, what's going on? And I just kind of let it all out. I mean, I just, you never just verbally vomit, you know, just let it all out on the table. And I just, I let it all out. About an hour and a half, this lady, she listened to me, very nice lady. And she listened to me. She said, you know, I can't keep you here. I said, well, you know, why not? I'd really like to stay. And she said, well, you're not crazy. And I looked at her and said, can I get that in writing? Because there's a lot of people that would really like to see that. And she said, she started laughing. She said, no, you're not crazy, but you are burnt out. And I can give you some names of some people to talk to. And, and you know, some counselors I think may be helpful to you. And I had kind of been down that road with a lot of counselors, and I really thought about that, and I, but I quietly took the, the list of names. I said, thank you. And she said, we've been giving out box lunches today. Do you want one? The last one, is, we only got one left. It's, it's tuna fish. Well, now, I've never turned down a tuna fish sandwich in my life. In fact, even the, the worst tuna fish sandwich I've ever had it was by a lady in our church. I won't give you her last name. Her first name was Mary. And those who grew up with me will know who this woman was. And she was kind of a squirrely lady. And my my best friend in life, we we grew up together. And Dexter James Winsky II, we call him Swift. He's a great American. And he and I used to work for her. We, we were teenagers, we were just kids. And we would work for her. Uh, at her house and with gardening and weeding and all that stuff. And she was she was kind of an odd bird. How odd? She was real odd. But she made us lunch. We've been out there working in the hot South Carolina sun. 
and she made us lunch and it was tuna fish sandwich. It was, it was she said, do you boys like tuna fish? Well, yeah, of course we do. We like tuna fish. But I was a little bit alarmed when I saw her get out the blender. Now, I've watched mom make tuna fish sandwiches for a lifetime. And I've watched other people do it. I used to work as a short order cook. Uh, and I made tuna fish sandwich. I've never seen anybody use a blender. And she put the tuna in the blender and, and it did what blenders do and great was the blending thereof and then she got these tiny pieces of bread you know they're like pepperidge farm bread that's really thin well she she pours this onto that bread and it gives it to us well because i am who i am and my my buddy swoof he's we we held this up and it's dripping through the bread down our hands and down our arms while we're trying to eat this dude but you know what we committed and we ate the whole sandwich <laughs> we did and I, so so when this lady said would you like a tuna fish sandwich we got this box lunch it's, it's tuna fish do you want it i was hoping that it wouldn't be that kind of tuna fish that had been blended but i would commit to it and i you know i was in a <laughs> i was in a mental institution and so the word commit sometimes can be a little bit dicey but i i was ready to go full tilt tuna here and, and so I, I took my little box lunch and I'm walking out the door and then she says something to me. She said, I would recommend a book for you to read, but you're the guy to write it. And I left the place. I got my keys, my wallet. I went back out and set my car. I'm still very tired. I'm holding this little box lunch, open it up and there's a a soda and some chips and an apple and a cookie and this tuna fish sandwich, which is a very good tuna fish sandwich, by the way. It was really good. And I'm sitting there eating this thing, and I'm enjoying my meal, enjoying the peace and the solitude. And I thought about what she said. I'd recommend a book for you to read, but you're the guy to write it. And I kind of snorted, and I said, well, what am I going to say to caregivers? And then I thought, what am I going to say to myself? And it was in that moment, in the car, eating a tuna fish sandwich, that all of this was born. This whole journey of me speaking to fellow caregivers right outside of mental institution. I, I thought about getting a t-shirt that says, I tried to have myself committed and all I got was a tuna sandwich. <laughs> True story. You know, and, and yet that's where it all started. And I'm very sad that I did not remember the name of that counselor, that I could in any way go back and thank her. But it's amazing how things start. So you may think in your life that well, maybe I, I don't have time or I'm a mess or I'm this. I was doing this in a mental institution <laughs> with a box lunch and a tuna fish sandwich. And here I am all these years later, but this is what God has done with it because I said, oh, you know what? I'm going to start saying things to myself and to fellow caregivers that I would want to hear. What, what, what is the language of caregivers? What is the language of caregivers? How do you speak to a caregiver? What do you say to a caregiver? And that's where it all started, right there in my car, in that parking lot in front of a mental institution, eating a tuna fish sandwich. I'd recommend a book for you to read, but you're the guy to write it. And so I say to you, my fellow caregiver, I'd recommend a painting for you to see, but you're the one to paint it. I'd recommend a song 
for you to hear, but you're the one to sing it. I'd recommend a garden for you to walk through, but you're the one to plant it. Do you follow where I'm going with this? I'd recommend a book for you to read, and I wrote it, so after you read by it, then go write your <laughs> You see what I'm doing, though? It's in you. Let it out. Doesn't matter if it sells a whole bunch, it matters that you do it. This is Peter Rosenberg, this is Hope for the Caregiver. We'll be right back. Hello, I'm Don Hawkins, here to tell you about Encouragement Live, 55 minutes of industrial strength radio encouragement featuring resourceful guests, plus practical biblical insights to help you face life's challenges. We'll be taking your phone calls, so plan to join us for Encouragement Live, Saturdays at 7.05 p.m. Central, 8.05 p.m. Eastern, here on American Family Radio. Hi, this is Pastor Robert Morris. I'm often asked, how do I grow in my relationship with the Lord? How do I hear God? What is God's plan and purpose for me? I want to personally invite you to join me on Sunday mornings right here on AFR for worship and the Word. And we will discover the answer to these questions together. We'll explore the truths found in God's Word that will help you strengthen your faith and develop a more intimate relationship with Him. Raising Godly Boys with Mark Hancock. Do you find yourself playing the comparison game, comparing yourself to others? If so, you need to remind yourself of this truth. You are created uniquely by God, fearfully, wonderfully made. There isn't another person in the world like you. It's a message we share with our kids regularly, but don't apply to ourselves nearly enough. When we fail to remember that God has created us uniquely and has a specific calling and purpose for our lives, we are tempted to compare ourselves to others. We justify our actions by thinking, at least I'm not as bad as that person. When we stand before God, He will not ask us about our neighbor's actions. We will only answer for ourselves. For more encouragement and parenting advice, visit Trail Life USA or RaisingGodlyBoys.com. Learn more at RaisingGodlyBoys.com. Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the program for you as a family caregiver. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. While you're out there, I hope you will check out the link there to my new book. You can get a free preview if you want and see what you think. Again, this is me putting myself out there based on all that we've been talking about, not just in the last segment, but I'm talking about for the whole show of saying, okay, I'm going to live. I'm going to produce. I'm going to be, you know, participating in life regardless of my journey as a caregiver. And I, I've told you, I've, I've, I've been writing this book. Um, sometimes I write it in the emergency room. <laughs> I work on songs. I, I, I told you that's my, my thing for this year is I'm going to push myself to produce. And I think that's incredibly important for us as caregivers that we push ourselves to produce at whatever level we can. I'm not asking you to go out and 
you know, do the screenplay for an Oscar-winning movie. I'm asking you to produce right where you are with what you have, okay? That's the whole point. Don't just sit on it and commiserate or um, somehow think that, okay, I'll just wait until this situation resolves itself and then I'll go out and start living life. That's a mistake. I, I told you all this. I remember this one lady that she started taking care of her father and and she neglected her business and she threw herself into taking care of her father seven years later he's still going she's bankrupt okay that's the kind of thing that we as caregivers must fight against we cannot ensure that we're not going to be overwhelmed by the the finances and everything else there's no guarantee Okay, there's no guarantee that we're not going to have to walk through some ugly things in our life. Okay, in fact, there's actually the promise that we will. But we can live our life to better prepare ourselves for it, to better equip ourselves for it, to make better decisions in it. Not once we get through it. We don't wait for our good decisions on the other side of this. We start making good decisions now. And that starts with you pushing yourself, me pushing myself, even though the odds are a bit daunting. And there are always stories out there that that inspire us to continue on in this. And not just in movies and books. I mean, think about this. David, David was anointed king of Israel when he was just a kid. And Saul chased him all over the country trying to kill him for, what, 20 years or so? And he could have taken Saul's life, assumed the throne, and done a lot of things at several occasions. But if you notice, he didn't take Saul out on his own, nor did he go off and hide somewhere and wait for Saul to die out. He lived life. The key is learning to tell the difference between doing it under your own strength or doing it in obedience to God. If you look at Moses, he tried to deliver Israel one dead Egyptian at a time, and that didn't work out too well for him. So he ended up spending 40 years on the backside of the desert tending sheep for a while till he learned to be obedient to God in the midst of it. Jacob wanted to marry Rachel, Laban tricked him and he ended up marrying Leah and he had to work another seven years for Rachel, a total of 14 years, but he kept thriving in it and he was obedient to do it. And it's kind of interesting to watch his story because he was somebody who was a wheeler dealer and then all of a sudden he got wheeled or dealed, you know? So you remember that verse in Jeremiah 29 that seems like everybody wants to repeat back to you during times that it seems a bit dicey. I know the plans for you, declares the Lord. Gracie sang a song about it. It's, it's a great verse, but do you know the context of it? This is why it's important for us to study God's word in context. And the context of Jeremiah 29 is not just, I know the plans. He's setting this up and the exiles there in Jerusalem were just lamenting. They really wanted to go back to Israel and they were just torqued about it. And then here comes this verse in Jeremiah 29, 4. Okay, this is seven verses before the one everybody else quotes all the time. He says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now, let's unpack that a little bit. Whom I have sent. They just didn't happen to get there. God sent them there. And here's what he says. This is what Jeremiah, the prophet, is saying. The Lord is saying through Jeremiah, Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. 
take wives, have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons, and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus saith the Lord, Jeremiah goes on to say in verse 10, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Okay, now that takes on a little different meaning when you see it in the context. And it goes on and God goes on to really lay out this whole plan that he's had for this. This is not something that just happened to these people. He decreed it. So what does that mean for you and me? Do you think that Gracie's accident caught God by surprise? Do you think that all of these things that have happened in our life were causing God to smack his forehead and say, oh man, I forgot about Peter and Gracie. No, of course not. None of that lines up with anything in Scripture. And we can lament and we can cuss and fuss and scream and cry and holler and everything else that we do as human beings, and sadly I have done. God, get me out of this. But God told his own people, be still. I put you here. I will move you when I'm ready because I know the plans I have for you. Do you think that's a one and done thing with God? Do you think that's a principle that God incorporated just that one time? Okay, this is the way I'm going to do it this time. Everything else, I'm just going to kind of let it just flow. But no, no, no. On this one, I'm going to say to these people, y'all be cool. I got a plan. He's had a plan from before the foundation of the world. We don't always know what he's doing, and we may not always like what he's doing, but we trust him in it. Go back and look at the Garden of Gethsemane. You know, Peter took a knife and cut off that guy's ear, and Jesus like, Peter, really? I, I can call down legions upon legions. Who knows how many angels that really represented? He was not without the ability to defend himself. That was not his purpose. And you look at James and John when those guys were treating them poorly and they said, shouldn't we just call down fire from heaven to consume them? You know, and, and I love in The Chosen how they kind of showed that scene in Samaria. It was really, really great scene. And, and Jesus looked at him and said, you, you boys don't get what I'm doing here. And I can go through scripture after scripture, Moses killing that Egyptian. Really, Moses? You know, th- this, is, this is your plan? And when David was willing to trust God in this, knowing that he'd been anointed king, and yet he had to go through years of abuse, of being hunted, 
of treated poorly. His own men at sometimes got very angry with him. One, one time they wanted to kill him. And then he'd come back to this passage in Scripture, Jeremiah 29, and you see a glimpse into God's character and his attributes. I got you. I know where you are. Settle down. Just hang tight. I know where you are, and I know what I'm doing. Now, that's what he's saying, basically, in essence, to these Israelites through the word of the Lord that came through Jeremiah. I mean, if I was translating into southern ease, it would say, y'all simmer down. I'll, I'll, I'll take care of you. I know what's going on. Well, does he say that to you and me? Does that same principle apply to us? Y'all simmer down. Peter, settle down. I got Gracie. I know what I'm doing. And I will sustain you in this. That's the whole purpose of the Holy Spirit, the comforter, which to strengthen, not just to console. It's not the sympathizer, which he does offer those consoling wonderful attributes of God and we see them all throughout scripture but the purpose of the Holy Spirit coming was to fortify to strengthen to equip to help us to endure and groan on our behalf so yeah we don't understand yes we feel abandoned yes we feel cast off you show me a caregiver that doesn't feel that way and I'll show you somebody that hasn't been caregiving long enough but it's in those moments that we run to this Savior who understands that anguish that we're feeling and has done something about it and invites us to trust him. Plant vineyards, build houses, find a wife, get married, have kids, find spouses for your kids, have grandkids. That sounds an awful lot like live life in this place that I have you. So my question to you as a caregiver, are you living life in this place that God has you? Or are you sitting around and putting a notch on the wall and waiting for your prison sentence to be over? It does not honor God for us to just mark time as caregivers. We'll just get through this. And then when mama goes on to be with Jesus, then we'll get out and live life. I don't see anything in scripture that supports that. But I see a whole lot in scripture that encourages us, yea, even commands us to be diligent where we are with what we have. He provides the increase. You don't need to go start some grandiose ministry or do this or this. I didn't do that. This has just evolved over a lifetime. I've just been doing this a very long time. And so things evolved. Like I told you in the last block, I sat out in the parking lot in front of a mental hospital with a tuna sandwich. And I just started being diligent with what I had, where I was. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is Hope for the Caregiver. We'll be right back. Have you ever struggled to trust God when lousy things happen to you? I'm Gracie Rosenberger, and in 1983, I experienced a horrific car accident leading to 80 surgeries 
and both legs amputated. I questioned why God allowed something so brutal to happen to me. But over time, my questions changed, and I discovered courage to trust God. That understanding, along with an appreciation for quality prosthetic limbs, led me to establish Standing with Hope. For more than a dozen years, we've been working with the government of Ghana and West Africa, equipping and training local workers to build and maintain quality prosthetic limbs for their own people. On a regular basis, we purchase and ship equipment and supplies. And with the help of inmates in a Tennessee prison, we also recycle parts from donated limbs. All of this is to point others to Christ, the source of my hope and strength. Please visit standingwithhope.com to learn more and participate in lifting others up. That's standingwithhope.com. I'm Gracie, and I am Standing With Hope. While in the emergency room with my wife, as she was struggling with the COVID-19 virus herself, and I looked at her, I said, are you scared? And she said, a little bit, but I've been through worse. The Certainty of Mankind's History with Uncertainty, an article by Peter Rosenberger. And then, as her fever was approaching almost 103, she started singing in Christ alone. I place my trust and find my glory in the power of the cross. And that's how she has anchored herself in the certainty of Christ through her huge medical journey that has included 80 surgeries, both of her legs amputated, 100 doctors have treated her, 12 hospitals, and now the COVID-19 virus. And so when we live with those kinds of uncertainties, anchoring ourselves in Christ, in Christ alone, that's the only place we can run to where there is certainty. To read this article and more, visit afa.net forward slash the stand. Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the program for you as a caregiver. This is the caregiver keyboard that I'm playing. And do you know what this hymn is? By any chance. It was written by Fanny Crosby. I'll give you a hint. Well, let me just tell you the story. A lot of you all have expressed to me that you love the caregiver keyboard and love when I talk about the hymns. And I love these hymns that I play. I just love the hymns. Uh, Fanny Crosby was invited to go speak at the Bowery one night and she didn't want to do it she didn't feel good she was tired she just wasn't feeling great and she went anyway and the guy came up to her afterwards and said listen I appreciate so much you sharing your testimony and my father died but he prayed for me for my whole life and I was involved in alcohol and so forth and tonight I've I've just heard your message and I want to just give my life to Christ and I'm going to spend eternity with my father. And she went home and wrote these lyrics. Down in the human heart, crushed by the tempter. Feelings lie buried that grace can restore. Touched by a loving heart. Wakened by kindness. Chords that were broken will vibrate once more, and here's the course, you may know this. Rescue the perishing. Care for the dying. Jesus is merciful. Jesus will save. Sing it with me. Rescue the perishing. Care for the dying. Jesus 
is merciful, Jesus will save. Rescue the perishing. She didn't want to go down there. But she went anyway. She was obedient. She was diligent. And in the process, this great hymn was born that night after she encountered that man who said, you know, I was a drunk. And I heard your story. And I am committing my life to Christ. I am trusting this Jesus that you're talking about. And I know that as I've given my life to Christ, I'm going to get to spend eternity with him. And I'll see my father who prayed for me. And that's extraordinary. God doesn't wait for us to feel good before he invites us to be obedient. In fact, quite the opposite. Gracie's favorite verse in scripture is 2 Corinthians 12, 9. I will boast all the more gladly my weakness, for in my weakness Christ's power rests upon me. You know, Paul pled with God, take this away from me. Just like those Israelites did when they were in captivity. Please let us go back home. Please take us out of captivity. Paul pled with God three times, take this thorn from me. And God said, my grace is sufficient. How many of us as caregivers are in that same position? And I would suggest to you that it's a normal position. Jesus pled in Gethsemane, please don't make me go through this. If there's any way, please let this cup pass for me. Not my will, but yours. And when we are obedient to God, extraordinary things happen. We talked about safety over the last couple of weeks, and I heard a great message that I think applies to us as caregivers. You know, safety comes in many different forms for us. And we think that if we're having the absence of things that we don't like, then we're safe and we're doing okay. But how much different would the story have turned out had David gone to battle instead of staying home and seeing Bathsheba? And the sermon I heard was sometimes the safety is in the middle of the battle. He was supposed to be out in the springtime when the kings went out to war. He was supposed to be out there. He got bored. The struggle is where we lean on him, meet him, encounter him, and are obedient to him in this. And so our safety tip for today is stay in the struggle because that's usually the safest place. Be diligent to the task at hand. Trusting in him that he is going to work through this. Jeremiah told those Israelites, be diligent where you are. Stay put. David, he chose not to be and caused a lot of carnage because of it. Fanny Crosby was diligent to go down and speak, share her testimony, share what God has done in her life. And that man was so moved by this that it jarred him from his life of alcoholism and running away from God, that he listened, he heard it, his, his spirit was quickened within him. And she was diligent to go, and in the process, wrote this hymn that evening. 
Rescue the perishing, care for the dying. Snatch them in pity from sin and the grave. Weep over the erring one, lift up the fallen. Tell them of Jesus, the mighty to save. And how many people have been touched by that hymn? How many lives has God touched through that hymn? There's no way Fanny Crosby left this earth knowing the impact she had on countless individuals. She was diligent to the task at hand. So my question to you is, where's your safety? Is your safety in getting out of your circumstances? Is that what's going to cause you to feel more safe? Or are you willing to be still and trust him in it and be diligent to the task at hand, knowing that God has indeed a plan for you and in this that there are things in you, just like what was in Fanny Crosby, that will be used to touch countless lives. You don't know this. And you may think you're struggling along in isolation, and you may be. The Israelites were struggling along in exile. Fanny Crosby was blind going down there to basically a mission. And if you look at biographies of missionaries, Hudson Taylor, you know, Amy Carmichael, all these individuals who went at considerable cost and were diligent. They weren't great heroes. A lot of people didn't know who they were until the end of the life and then some. But they were diligent. I see this all through Scripture, trusting in God that He is working through all of these things. You may feel as a caregiver that you are invisible, isolated, forgotten. And a lot of those things are extremely hard to push back on. I know. But I'm telling you that none of that lines up with Scripture. None of that lines up with Scripture. He is intricately involved in all of these things. Even in the suffering you have to watch every day. I see it in my own life. And I see in the lives of countless others. And so I'm asking you to be diligent where you are and understand that safety is often in the battle. Because that's where we're trusting on God and being obedient to where he's called us. David gave us a horrific example of what it was like to step away from following God's directive. He had done so well during that time with Saul when Saul was king and chased him and David had maintained his principles, he had stayed there. But when he became king and he stepped into that role, he, it's like he just checked out. And it's, it's so tragic. And it was extremely expensive for him and so many others. We are invited to trust God in the midst of the craziness. We are invited to be still and know that he is God. Zechariah 4, 6, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. God is not requiring you to be a super caregiver. <laughs> He's not. It's his spirit that is doing all of these things. And it's in our weakness that we can truly boast all the more gladly. 
because that's when Christ's power rests upon you. And that's the safest place to be is when you are boasting in your weakness so that Christ's power rests upon you. You go back and look at the, the great hymn, His Eyes on the Sparrow. Sevilla Martin wrote that. And she was talking with um, a couple, and it was a, a she. The woman was bedridden, the man was crippled, and this went on for years in their life. I mean, he took care of his wife, and worked, and he had a. I think he had a horrible limp, and it was just orthopedic issues, and yet they were just so full of joy. And Sevilla asked him. She said, "How is this possible? How are you doing this?" And they, and the lady who was bedridden, she said. Well, his eyes on the sparrow, <laughs> and I know he watches me. You know, I mean, I don't know if they worked out any copyright issues with that or not, but the point was not lost on Savilla Martin that this is a woman of extraordinary faith who was trusting God, being diligent where she was. Her husband, who was crippled himself, was being diligent where he was, and in the process, God used their story to inspire Savilla Martin to then change the lives of how many people treasure that song. In fact, when I was back in Nashville at the funeral that I just played at after the Covenant shootings, Daniel Fisher and I played His Eyes on the Sparrow. And I heard the weeping from the congregation, from his family as they listened to that. And it started because Sevilla Martin saw this couple who were being diligent to where they had. The safety was in the battle. A hundred years later, that song is still grabbing people and pointing them to Christ. That's where safety is, is in the battle. So that's my safety tip for this time. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is Hope for the Caregiver. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. We'll see you next week. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast do not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.